It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Introducing Built to Last, a new podcast by American Express. I'm Elaine Welteroff, and I'm excited to host the debut season where we will be deep diving into the stories, history, and continued legacy of small businesses that shape American culture. Through these important conversations, we'll hear how the Black business leaders of our past have inspired today's Black-owned small businesses and communities. Join us for the debut season of Built to Last on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Okay, with the fourth pick in the 2011 NFL Draft, the Cincinnati Bengals select A.J. Green, wide receiver, Georgia. Or, Coach, maybe it's a tip that, hey, Carson, come on back. We really need to get you some help. I don't know about all that. I know this. This is, I think, the best offensive player in the draft, Mel. We talked about Von Miller already. This guy, just a junior. I think he's a flanker, and I think there's a big difference between a split end and a flanker. He has very good body control, outstanding hands. He's an outstanding route runner. He has no fear over the middle. Areas of concern, they said, hey, John, what are your areas of concern? None. He's a great practice player. The guy has an unbelievable future ahead of him. Six foot four. He's 211 pounds. He catches the ball away from his body. He could be in the circus. To announce the Cincinnati Bengals selection, please welcome from the University of Southern California, the third overall pick in the 1980 draft by the Cincinnati Bengals Hall of Fame tackle Anthony Munoz. Good evening. With the 35th pick in the 2011 NFL Draft, the Cincinnati Bengals select Andy Dalton, quarterback, TCU. I like that pick, Chris. You know, I know that they were sleepless probably last night, hoping they could get a quarterback. And Andy Dalton, a four-year starter, 42 wins, Mel, is going to be coming in there in Cincinnati with a chance to become an immediate starter. What I like what the Bengals did is they had a couple receivers that are tweeting and sweating it. Maybe they don't want to come back, so they take A.J. Green. Their quarterback might not want to come back. Take a quarterback and take a guy that you know can play. And the one thing I do know about this guy is he can make accurate throws and good decisions. And I think the more you give this kid, check with me, the more system football that you give him, the better he'll be. And he'll have to be because the Cincinnati Bengals are a work in process. They need to address their offensive line. They're in a tough division. You like those Baltimore Ravens, Mel, the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Cleveland Browns are on the rise. You need a quarterback. I'm happy for the Cincinnati Bengals. I think this kid can run. He's got functional movement. He ran for over 1,600 yards. This guy will give the Bengals a shot in the arm where they need it. John, what I like is the fact he improved in terms of accuracy and that completion percentage. Last three years went from 59% to 61%. Finished off at 66% this past year. The only concern is... He's not 6'4", he's 6'2", and he does have that three-quarter delivery, which results in some passes being fatted down. That's something we'll have to deal with in the NFL. But to get a kid like this, going about a kid who played five years, fifth-year senior, very rare to see a kid stay his entire career because he didn't have elite skills. But he's there. He's a kid who gained 35 pounds, added to his frame during his career. Smart, intelligent football player. Cincinnati Bengals have their quarterback. Three observations. 42-7, and seven, record as a starter. Hello. He's got... Orange hair, the same color as the Bengals, which I think is a perfect fit. And maybe he can get Munoz to play tackle. He's all set. Mort, what do you have? Yeah, Top back. Well, a general manager told me what would have sealed the deal for him in terms of level of competition was the Rose Bowl game against Wisconsin. He stood near Andy Dalton during the pregame. Crowd was 80% Wisconsin fans. They were yelling at him, profane in many ways. Calm as can be. Wisconsin looked like an NFL team. Wisconsin goes down and scores a field goal. Andy Dalton, two straight touchdowns. Calm as can be. He made it big time against Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl. And that game right there, I think, made a lot of coaches and GMs feel like this guy can play in this league. Boomer? It is the Lockdown Bengals podcast with your host, Joe Goodberry 
and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. Hey there, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Today, we continue with our March Mock Madness in April, in the spirit of March Madness having just ended. And also, there is a little bit of news. The Bengals players obviously reported to Paul Brown Stadium yesterday. It sounds like they did a first day install. Uh, Bengals.com also gives you a breakdown of the different phases of the offseason program. So currently, they're in phase one which means if the players do go on the field at any point in time, they're only allowed to be out there with strength and conditioning coaches. So no football work is happening on the field. All the football work is happening in player rooms, uh, in meeting rooms. It sounds like they are doing some early install. If you go read Tyler Eifert's quote on Bengals.com, it sounds like he's they, they have new formations they're learning, so that's interesting. little yeah, tidbit there from Tyler Eifert. Probably getting just the jargon in the uh, new language yep. translated for them. Yep. Sounds like there's going to be some new language, or usually is when you have new coaches come in. And that's always been something that's been kind of weird to me. Like, why doesn't everyone just have, why is it their universal football language? That's a question I've had. I think because football can be different from different levels to different areas of the regions of the country. Yeah. And, and you'll see it even on on Twitter if you're discussing with someone. They'll be like, oh, that's a uh, flag route. And you're like, no, it's a seven route. And then, you know, so what's the difference? Nothing really that's the same thing. But we, you know, it just depends on where, when you were taught at 10 years old versus when he was taught at 10. And it just sticks with you for the rest of your life. And, and I think it just evolved from there. Yeah. Anyway, the players that were interviewed, the point here is that they, they all seem pretty impressed with Zach Taylor, which is nice to hear. And they're going to say that, I think, obviously, but they seem excited. And I'm choosing to buy in the same way I chose to buy in when Zach Taylor was hired and talked about a good culture and, you know, accountability and positivity. I'm choosing to buy in right now. AJ Green seemed excited uh, talking about having an offensive minded head coach. So that's what I wanted to hear. Yeah. And, and Andy Dalton's quote when he's, you know, they didn't expect us to win any games, a single game, when I was here my first year in 2011. Then that was the end of the interview with Cat Terrell. I thought that was a nice little mic drop moment. Our swagged out quarterback. Franchise yeah, It's about us. Him. It's about us. Let's do it. Uh, you said that there are some Bengals players, some veterans that have some numbers assigned, some free yeah. agent signings. New players. I always check this when uh, camp opens up, whether that's just reporting for workouts or when veterans will... All the veterans will show up for mandatory stuff. You'll see some number changes for, for guys that have been here for, especially guys going in their year two. But the free agent edition signings all got their numbers issued to them. B.W. Webb will wear number 24. John Miller at right guard will wear number 67. And Kerry Wynn on the defensive line will wear 72, which is what he wore for the New York Giants. So all good numbers. All look like fast, strong, good football player numbers. Good, fast, strong football player numbers. You heard it here first on the Lockdown Bengals podcast. I know that's what you guys tune in for, for the deep hitting analysis. This is very important, Jay. Don't make jokes. I'm not making jokes. You can't be sound like I'm making jokes? Wearing 49, okay? You can't. No, that'd be ridiculous. Right, exactly. Did you see uh, Tremaine Edmonds for the Bills wearing 49 as a linebacker? I think it's ugly. I, I like 40s on linebackers, actually. Malik Jefferson's got 45. How'd that work out his rookie year? Well, he didn't play. Who knows? If he wore 55 or 54. He, he still wouldn't have played. He, no, he would have dominated. <laughs> 100%. No doubt in my well, mind. Doesn't Miles Jack wear 44? 44 looks great. Uh, looks you, can have, you can have nice that, four, that, four. But when I said I like 40s on linebackers, I was thinking specifically of Miles Jack. That's fine. 44 is a very nice number. 44 is a nice number. Uh, what else happened today? Alex Redmond signed his exclusive rights free agent deal uh, officially. He'll be back uh, for another year. Now ostensibly to back up. Uh, right guard, I think, predominantly. I think Christian Westerman will probably go into the, go into the seasons backing up at left guard. Yeah. It's weird to have a 
like a fixed backup at a backup offensive line spot, you know? Like, this guy is a backup right guard. This guy is a backup left guard. We only like Westerman at left guard. Although I would say Redmond, remember he played left guard when uh, those yeah. final two weeks uh, when him and when, Westerman when were splitting. Yeah. Exactly. So he's got that versatility, which makes me concerned for Westerman's longevity. Well, it's both of them, right? I mean, sure. I'd, I'd say in terms of contracts and in terms of where they are on the roster, they're, you know, in the bottom 40 of the roster, right? That, that sure. didn't make sense. But, you know, 40 or higher in terms of – so they're both they're both potentially camp cuts. You know, they're both fighting for their spot on the team, and best of luck to them both. And I hope, you know, they ball out and become the best players they can be. But realistically, they're both fighting for roster spots. And and one guy is under contract or was under contract, so it was no decision to be made. And one guy, they while he was exclusive, they did offer him, obviously, and Alex Redmond signed. So I do wonder if – you know, had both guys been a free agent, would there have been a decision to make? Or is this just, hey, a cheap guy that we know that can play, it's a no-brainer to keep him, which in my mind it is. Well, it's uh, they they tendered all their exclusive rights, guys. Yeah. I right. feel like NFL teams almost always ex- tender all their exclusive rights, guys, because they are cheap and they know those guys for the most part. Uh, and Westerman, when he becomes a free agent, he'll be unrestricted. That's right. I know. I just mean if they were in a similar situation, would they have chosen one or the other? Who knows? I, I I get paranoid in my own head for why they haven't yeah, played can, Westerman. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> and then and then not only do they add a guard in free agency, they re-sign Alex Redman, and then they they give Trey Hopkins a decent contract. I'm just like, oh, that's not enough spots for our our savior. Trey Hopkins is backing up everywhere, though. Yes, I think Even tackle I, right now. Uh, correct. Yes. Well, I, would, I, I wouldn't doubt it, right? No. Yeah. I, I I'm I said correct. I agree with you. Okay. Um. Let's see. Before we get into today's matchups for Mock Madness, PFF Mike, Mike Renner, who is famous for being that guy from Pro Football Focus who went on The Bachelor and finished 15th. Is, is That's that what he's a, famous for? Well. He finished 15 out of how many? I don't know. I don't watch The Bachelor. How many people go oh. on The Bachelor? Uh, I don't know. That's a... I was going to say, I think a lot, but how many make it out of the first night and then first week? I don't know. I don't know. I took this important stat from a pro football focus graphic. Uh, I was going to say many he's more famous for his hair. He has great hair. Long, luscious, golden hair, and he can dunk a basketball. He looks like he could have been, you know, one of the, one of the Clay Matthews, uh, AJ yep. Hawk guys at USC. You know what episode I did watch of The Bachelor while he was on there? No. When they played flag football okay you should watch it he scores a touchdown i'm sure he's probably one of the better i mean and yeah he's he's an athletic guy but there's a former nfl player out there too okay anyway he has a great series of tweets today not about hair not about the bachelor but about offensive tackles and this is probably more interesting to you a couple of weeks ago before they re-signed bobby hart and we decided yeah they're probably not going to draft a tackle but Pro Football Focus has a bunch of the top tackle prospects broken down by the number of true pass sets taken in their careers. And they define a true pass set as a pass blocking repetition where there are four or more pass rushers, a QB drop to seven plus yards, no play action, not a screen, and it's over two seconds for a QB to throw. So this really isolates plays where they actually have to do a straight pass block. There's no deception involved. And it's a, a traditional drop and a, and a not a catch and release kind of play. So not quick sets, um, right. actual pass blocking repetitions. And the top five guys that they have highlighted here, and this is for their careers, Andre Dillard, 966 true pass sets in his career. And he had thousands and thousands of snaps in his career. Yep. And most of them are pass blocking snaps in the system he was in. Jonah Williams at Alabama, 459 uh, offensive tackle, true pass blocking sets. Dalton Reisner, 418. Juwan Taylor, 404. Cody Ford, 99. All of those coming last year. And then in those snaps, we have the grades for each of them in those repetitions. So Andre Dillard, who had the most snaps, grades out at about an 88 in their pass blocking grades, which is very, very good. Jonah Williams is at an 80, still good. Dalton Reisner at a 91.6, which is elite but the caveat there that the pff guys have been giving when talking about dalton reisner is that the quality of pass rusher in the big 12 was very low compared to some of the other conferences 
So he, he kicked everyone's ass in front of him, but it wasn't anybody tough. He kind of did what you would expect him to do. And this isn't a knock on Dalton Reiser. If he had performed poorly against Big Big 12 pass rushers, that would be a problem. Performing at an elite level against Big 12 pass rushers can't be seen as a negative, but it's still important to understand the context around it, right? Yeah. Jawan Taylor next on the list, 64.4. But the not caveat good. there is... Not, not good, that's right. But the caveat there is in his 97 true pass blocking sets as a senior, that went up to about a 75. So he okay. did take a step his senior year. He got better. And you can hang your hat on that if you like. Cody Ford, 99, all in his senior year, which is actually two more true pass blocking sets than Jawan Taylor had his senior year, 75. So they, they end up, despite our questions about Cody Ford in terms of athleticism, in terms of all of his size and whether he should maybe be an interior lineman, essentially identical pass blocking reps and grades in those true, plat, true pass block sets, according to PFF. Yeah, and so what I'm taking from this is the guys who have the most experience in a true pass set typically perform better, and I would expect that. I mean, why wouldn't you if you have a guy that can hold up in pass protection, number one, but also the more he does it, the better he should get. So it makes sense that Andre Dillard, man, we've talked about him. When we ranked our offensive tackles, I had Dillard and, and Reisner, Reisner one, Dillard two, and it's because of the pass sets. And, and when you, when I watched him on film, I thought these guys are showing me more of what I want. It's like watching a quarterback that throws a screen one out of every three passes, right? And you're like, well, that I just got to throw that play away. That's not part of the evaluation. So when you see these quick passes or quick sets, they're not going to get beat off. And so when you see actually these true pass sets, it gets you excited. And when you watch Dillard or, or Reisner and even Jonah Williams, uh, you see it much more often. So I do appreciate the stat a lot. I like it. I think it it shows that many people believe Dillard is the best pass protector in this draft, and it so shows he's also the most experienced. So you can plug and play him right now, and he'd probably give you good pass protection as a rookie. I yeah. think the question, though, for me is that Cody Ford with just 99 of these in his career, mm-hmm. that means you may he may be good at it. He may be as good as Juwan Taylor right away at it, but he has way less experience, so he's going to have some catching up to do in terms of probably technical refinement. I think any old line guy that watched them would agree. The other side of that is he has probably more room to grow, but yep. maybe not probably, but potentially because Jawan Taylor had several years of playing in these true pass sets and was never as good as Cody Ford in his one year. So limited right. sample size stuff, uh, technical stuff, all the, and also big 12 caveat for Cody Ford too, right? But maybe so. we shouldn't compare Taylor and Ford. Maybe we should compare Taylor with Reisner and, and Jonah. Yeah. They all had 400 yeah. and something true pass sets and well, they weren't close in grading. I was going to say don't compare Ford to Taylor because of conference differences because if you're going to if you're going to give that caveat for Dalton Reisner's grade in the Big 12 you have to do it for Oklahoma too. Right. I hear you. Um a couple other guys that were requested that we have this information on as well and this is just for 2018. Actually we'll do just 2018 grades in these pass blocking sets for all the guys we just talked about. So Andre Dillard 89.5 really good. Jonah Williams 82.5 really good. Dalton Reiser, essentially 92. And then Ford and, and Taylor, we talked about, about 75 each. A couple other guys that we have for just this last season, too, their senior years. Yadni just 118 snaps, graded out at 74. So right in that Jawan Taylor, Cody Ford territory, actually. Hmm. Uh, Kayla McGarry, 211 snaps, 76.6. So, you know, a little bit better. But in terms of translating PFF to professional out- outlooks, I think that 76, for all intents and purposes, is essentially the same as a 74. Mm-hmm. And finally, Greg Little at 132 snaps, uh, which is a fair number. It's about an average number, I would say. 83.2, so pretty good. Uh, better yeah. than Jonah Williams, actually. Yeah, I like the Greg Little that he got his uh, 83 grade there, and, and especially with 132 Snaps, if you correlate that over three years or so, you, you're going to be in the range with those other guys that uh, all played 400 so, uh, or saw 400 or so true pass blocking snaps. So that's good for Greg Little. That's Like I said, I've, I've liked him on tape. I think if the value meets where he tested and how he looked at the combine and he's there in the third round or so, I, I would love the opportunity to get Greg Little. I just think it's some really interesting data. The other, The last thing I'll say on this topic before we move on to our matchups for the day is Andre Dillard. One of the common knocks against him was in that offense, he wasn't asked to hold a pass block for more than a half a second. And the great thing about these numbers is this is 
isolating those longer pass blocking reps. So yeah. this is, if anyone said Andre Dillard, you know, he can't do it for more than the quick set or he had a lot of quick sets in his game. This, this tells you that, Hey, he can do it. Yeah. And you got to think in that offense too, they were, they were passing the ball almost every play at uh, Washington state. So in his, in his career, he had 3,200, almost 3,300 total snaps. So if you want to say a thousand of them were true pass sets, that's still a, uh, I wonder if that's a low clip in comparison to others, but it's still a pretty nice, uh, pretty nice sample size. We can figure that out pretty quick. We could, yeah. We have, we mean, have snaps here for some of these other guys. Dalton Reiser had 3,278 snaps and only 400 true pass walking reps. Yeah, in four years as a starter where Dillard was three-year starter. Yeah, and then Jonah Williams here with 2,700 snaps. So, yeah, but it is a, uh, it's a good clip for Jonah, actually. Yeah, I think it's, well... I think I think Andre Dillard probably had the highest. I don't I don't know how much this matters. So I don't know either. I just it's a good sample size is all I care about. Yeah, I think this is this is what I love about PFF actually is there's all this data that comes out and some of it you can look at and say right away you're like yeah that probably is meaningful. You've isolated something. Mike in this analysis isolated something that I believe is meaningful and tells us something at a greater granular granular level that here are some guys that are able to actually perform in true pass blocking situations. It tells us more than a grade. It's a good way to pull out the data. But what I like about PFF is they have so much data available to them and we're all still figuring out how to use it. Yeah. And you know what, this is why I like this so much is because this is something I internally have allowed to develop my opinion on the Bengals offensive line for a long time now. They've been a team that's a quick passing team that will give extra blockers to their – I would say before it was uh, when, when it was Jay Gruden and, and Hugh Jackson. They'd give extra blockers and extra pass protection. So it was a much easier task for their offensive line to hold up in pass protection. They probably agreed and went a step too far and allowed their two best offensive linemen to walk. But point being is I wonder what the Rams are. I'd have to – I'd love to have this information for the Rams the last couple of years to see how often they put their offensive line – because if you don't have to and you can get good – what I mean is if you don't have to put your guys in a position where they've got to hold up for more than two seconds on an island by, their, by themselves with a seven-yard drop for a quarterback and you can still get good pass protection and, and quarterback play, then great. You don't need to expose those guys. But if you, you, that's why I want to see if the Rams, uh, did they do it? Did they hide their offensive linemen more? Yeah. If that's the case, that would excite me a little bit because I would uh, think if they, they brought the same thing to Cincinnati, you could help out Cordy Glenn and Bobby Hart a lot. Yeah, we'll have to talk to Mike about that at some point in the future. Maybe we can get him on. Yeah, that'd be fun. We're going to take a quick break and then we'll come back and give you our poll questions of the day to continue mock madness, a couple of offensive linemen, a couple of edge rushers. Stay tuned. This is Ross Jackson from Locked On Saints. This podcast is brought to you by Carvana. In the age of online retailers, buying a car should be no different. And that's why Carvana invented a brand new way for you to buy a car that's 100% online. Without leaving the comfort of your couch, you can browse and buy from their selection of almost 20,000 cars. And once you've made the purchase, your car comes to you, delivered right to your door, or you can go and pick it up from one of the coin-operated car vending machines. All of Carvana's cars come with a seven-day return policy, ensuring that you get a car that fits perfectly with your life. Not happy? Exchange it or return it for a full refund. And with its dedication to customer service, it's why hundreds of thousands of customers have ditched the dealership and given Carvana 4.7 stars in customer satisfaction. So check it out, the nation's fastest growing auto retailer at Carvana.com, C-A-R-V-A-N-A.com, Carvana.com. Hey, what's happening? It's your boy Q, host of the Locked On Raiders podcast. And I hope you guys feasted on the MyBookie Turkey Day free play that allowed users to grab themselves a risk-free bet up to $250. It was basically a free shot at trying to double your money. If you didn't get in on that, what are you doing? Nah, but seriously, now is the time to get some skin in the game with MyBookie, where odds boost, lightning deals, and free bets await all season long. And with the NFL playoffs right around the corner, we know who these teams are. We know what they're capable of, and it's not difficult to find some value in the lines. Whether you're a first-time customer or have been playing with MyBookie for years, there is no shortage of value to be found in the thousands of game lines, unique prop bets, and contests that they offer every week. Sign up or get reloaded today. Find an edge, make your bet, and get paid. 
They also boast a fully-fledged casino platform, giving you access to all the classic table, slot, and card games you'd expect to find at your local spot. And the best part is, at MyBookie, the doors never close. So you can continue to build your bankroll even after the stadium lights have gone out. Make the right play and sign up today at MyBookie. And when you do, use promo code LOCKEDON to get your deposit match halfway, all the way up to 1000 bucks. The terms are simple. You put in $200, they'll match you with another $100 in your account. If you were already planning to bet this season, this is free betting money. It's winning season at MyBookie, so come join in on the fun and win some cash while you're at it. Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Dell Technologies. At CDWG, we get that migrating your agency to a hyper-converged infrastructure is challenging. Like me switching to decaf. Gotta do it, don't wanna do it, but gotta do it. Whoa, slow down, friend. CDWG's experts can help simplify your transition from legacy to hyper-converged infrastructure with Dell EMC solutions that offer speed and agility. Do it, do it. Have you done it? Is it done yet? Why isn't it done yet? IT orchestration by CDWG. People who get it. Find out more at cdwg.com slash EMC. Support for this podcast comes from The First One with DJ Khaled, a new podcast only available on Amazon Music. What's up, y'all? This is DJ Khaled, and this is The First One. We hear from all the A-list music stars like J Balvin, Nas, and Kelly Rowland about songs that didn't change the game, but changed their life. It's almost like sometimes before you even get in the industry, it's like you set up to fail. And there's so many moments where you can win. And the winning is great, but it's so many things that you go through to get to the win. And so much more who tell their stories about the first hits that took them to the next level, changed their life, overlooked to being overbooked. When I was recording the song, I already knew it was going to be a global hit. And I'm not joking, my G. I really felt it inside of me. I was like, I just can't wait to see a number one. Join me every Thursday with the first one drops only on Amazon Music. Let's go. Welcome back to the Lockdown Bengals podcast. In our second half of the episode today, we're going to continue our Mock Madness bracket tournament to find out who we want the Bengals to pick with the 11th overall selection in the 2019 NFL Draft. And we started yesterday on the Lockdown Twitter account putting up the first two matchups of this bracket, and it was between Ed Oliver and Christian Wilkins, both defensive tackles. And I've got to say, it's it's a landslide at 96%. There's a couple hours left to vote on it, so if you haven't yet, please go ahead and do that. And TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant was the other battle at tight end, both Iowa tight ends. Hawkinson's leading that 80-20. to 20. I'm surprised both of these are, are such a big discrepancy, Jake. I am too. I think it's it makes sense to me that the tight end one is closer, but the way we've talked about these guys on the podcast, if it's anybody that listens to us, I, I can understand why, why the votes are the way they are. Because realistically, nobody should, or very few people would actually have Christian Wilkins above Ed Oliver on their board. So I get it. But I think that the difference between those two players is much closer than 90 two percent or whatever the difference is 96 four right now yeah 96 uh, to four i think christian wilkins and i said this yesterday has a very similar career trajectory to Ed oliver he just doesn't have the athleticism he has the production he has great size and that's something that Ed oliver lacks in the eyes of nfl teams he has positional versatility i think in a way that Ed oliver won't at the next level in terms of i think Ed oliver is almost exclusively a three tech and there's nothing wrong with that three tech is very important but you can put Christian uh, Christian Wilkins anywhere along your interior defensive line, I think, and he's going he's gonna to be able to produce. And like we said yesterday, too, he also was extremely productive uh, based on PFF's run stop and pass rush, I think number two in both. So, I mean, and we're not talking about he's – when you said earlier he's not at Oliver type athlete, well, yeah, no one is really, right? So I think in a better – or on more normalized defensive tackle class, we talk about Christian Wilkins much, much more. And it's because Quentin Williams is a freak. Ed Oliver is an athletic phenomenon. And then it should have been Jeffrey Simmons is number three. So we kind of created this gap early on in the process and then Christian Wilkins when really there isn't a gap there. But someone even asked uh, on the poll question, is this an, even a serious question? Well, I, this is what I expected the vote to turn out like, but this is a one seed versus a 16 seed. This is how it was going to happen all along. I just didn't expect it to be so slanted. I'm not, I'm not too surprised by it because when it is, you know, it's, it's just, which would you rather have? 
It's yeah. not like how much would you like, you know, if you, you could give Christian Wilkins a five out of 10 and Ed Oliver a nine out of 10 or a 10 out of 10 or whatever, then it looks closer, but it's just uh, a coin flip. No offense, TJ Hawkinson. That was interesting to me too. I, I thought more people would like no offense athleticism and like just raw athleticism. You talk about an athlete, they're both good athletes, but no offense yeah. on a different level. One comment on Twitter from Jackson at Jackson Tyler. He said, is Fant more of a freak athlete? Then that's what I want. And so I thought more people would, would see it that way also. Give me the freak guy that could just dominate and, and go with the upside. And that's not to say that, again, this is this is a comparison. This is Ed Oliver and Christian Wilkins at tight end in terms of athleticism, right? Fant's yeah, a freak. One, one, one of a century type kind of tight end. And then TJ Hawkinson is a very good athlete and good in his own right, but He's just not no fan. But again, we've discussed the reasons why we both, I think, like Hawkinson more. And I was watching uh, uh, Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay's mock draft that they did on ESPN. You know, they'll normally take an hour out and they'll, and they'll have a, an episode. But I was watching that and they had Hawkinson, or I think it was McShay had Hawkinson going number eight to the Detroit Lions. Sure. I could see it. Yep, for sure. So our, our next two matchups for today, we're going to have, we're going to stay on the left side there. There's mostly defense in, in, in our first round matchups and the first one is Kentucky's Josh Allen most of you know him we he came in for a visit with the Bengals versus a guy I think is very similar guy we've talked about but really uh I think we took him this week in mock draft Monday we did. yeah Florida State's Brian Burns so we got two edge rushers really guys that could be stand up outside linebacker in a three four or or put their hand down in nickel and rush. I think either way, they're edge guys and they can move well enough that you can have that position versatility between them. Uh, for me, this is much closer than I think the NFL is going to view it. I still think Josh Allen goes top six and I think Burns probably goes top 15. Brian Burns is an all-time athlete at the yep. edge rusher position. 9.9 RAS. That's that's 99th percentile athlete, right? And yep, exactly. Josh Allen's still a good athlete. This is another one of those sure. freak <laughs> athlete, elite athlete kind of compare, or freak athlete, good athlete at the very least. Both of them had outstanding production. Where, yep. where do you split the hair? Is it Brian yeah. Burns' size? Is it, well, I, is I it, wouldn't say that because uh, Burns is, is 6'5", 250, where Allen was, is just under 6'5", 260. Do you trust either of them to put their hand on the ground uh in a four or three you know i when i someone asked me this earlier when the Bengals were bringing in josh allen for a visit they said well is he a defensive end or isn't he an outside linebacker for them and i thought he's an edge guy and what does that mean that means he's yeah maybe he has his hand up in early downs and he's more of an outside linebacker the way von miller is and von miller never puts his hand down so i'll, I'll explain right. again yeah. we did this before when we talked about a position or, or a scheme switch on def, on defense but miller is a stand-up linebacker by all intents and purposes but his role is that of a defensive end and his, who he has to take the gap he has to defend uh who he's, who he's he takes on and blocks in, in the run game he has the role of a defensive end and i think that's what i would do with josh allen and i think i'd do that with brian burns also but so really they would be my edge guy on whatever side i, I they felt more comfortable on and i you know designed my defense around them because they would be if you took them with the 11th overall pick have they had a higher is there a higher drafted player on defense no there isn't right what do you mean for the Bengals? I, I'm trying to think of who, who the highest drafted defender is on the Bengals. Corner. Yeah, is it Drake Kirkpatrick? I'm just now thinking of this, and because I was thinking, if you draft a guy at 11 at, on defense, he is your now going forward your defensive centerpiece, right? Yeah, there's nobody. They they have like no first round. They have late first round. They have no early first round picks on the defense. Yeah. Yeah, so that right, they drafted so, at least. I, I can't think about maybe maybe they have some veterans, but I don't even think they do anymore. No, right? They they don't have anyone like that. So if you took an Allen or a Burns at eleven, and you say, well, he's kind of a three-four outside linebacker type or a three-three-five, whatever you want to call it, yeah, your defense is going to change now because this is your centerpiece. If it's not year one, it may be year two. But the point is, you are drafting him to put him in the best position to succeed. And I, I want to touch on production too because it seems like Allen was more productive. He had. Uh, 42 tackles for a loss, 31 and a half sacks while at Kentucky, while Brian Burns had 38 and a half tackles for a loss. So 42 versus 38 and 23 sacks versus basically 32 sacks. So 
Allen does edge him out a little bit. I think he, he played also more than Brian Burns. When you look at Jim Metrick's uh, difference in production, if you average tackle market share, tackle for a loss in sacks, you get a 96.2 for Josh Allen. When you do the same for Brian Burns, you get an 86.7. So really elite all-pro level production for Josh Allen, Pro Bowl level production for Brian Burns. Yeah, and Josh Allen also, just looking at the pro football focus data, second in pass rush productivity for edge players in the class, 28th in run stop percentage uh, in the class. And you compare that to Burns, 24th pass rush productivity in the class, 105th for run stop percentage. So the big difference there, I think think they're probably pretty comparable pass rushers at the next level because of how refined Brian Burns' game is and how much agility he has in in, in terms of in terms of flexibility, ability to turn yeah. the corner. And he has really good hands. At the college level, Josh Allen more productive, but the big difference there is run-stop percentage where Brian Burns didn't contribute nearly as much. Well, he was listed at 235 pounds for most of his college career, and he showed up at the Combine at 250. I think it may have been, may have been 249 or 251, but either way. Uh, so he put on weight and still tested really well, so he can, he can hold it. But if he was 235 and playing like that for much of his career, that is – that's light, and you're going to get run over in the run game. So that's definitely an area of concern going forward and probably why the NFL views them differently. For me, when I look at college players and their intensity in defending the run, it could be even a corner. Uh, people may say uh, tackling – we're not talking about corners this year because we really haven't had to. But when you look at tackle share for corners, it's a really big predictive stat for the, for their success in the NFL. And you're like, why? Corners don't need to tackle. It's their involvement in getting in on the play and wanting to play every single snap and having that determination and that mindset that allows them to have success at the next level is my opinion on that. And I think you can see the very same for edge guys. When they don't have a high tackle – share it's probably because they're not getting involved in the game enough the other thing to consider for both players here is they both took pretty substantial leaps from junior to senior year although burns i think is coming out as a junior yeah yeah so from from sophomore to junior year for burns from junior to senior year for allen gigantic leaps in pff grading and production yeah and i remember allen uh a year ago and he 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 was projected this guy could be a top 10 pick right uh, he really transformed his body, his game. He brought it to another level. And they said the work he put in thinking, I could be, yeah, they're projecting me there, but I need to make sure I'm that and maybe beyond. Uh, so I've really been impressed with the way he played this past year. Josh Allen is is a guy that was really fun to watch. One of the few defensive guys that when, when that team's on, you're like, I'm going to keep my eye on, on him. So I I think this is going to go one way, uh, and it's going to go in, in Josh Allen's direction this game, this matchup here. But I do think this is a little bit closer than uh, may have been originally when we th- were thinking of the draft. Yeah, the other thing to consider is if if you're voting out there, if you're voting about who's going to be there, well, Josh Allen, I think, is less likely to be there. I'm not saying that should impact your vote, but maybe it does. And, then, uh, I, you know, I haven't decided on how this is going to work because, like, if, if Josh Allen wins this whole thing, that means, yeah, we want Josh Allen at 11. Well, who doesn't? If, if yeah. Ed Oliver wins it, then it's like, yeah, Ed Oliver, who doesn't? But I, I'm going to look at it, like, if, pull it up on draft day, and if, as soon as Allen's gone, as soon as Oliver's gone, if the next the best next guy. Guys are, yeah. Exactly, right. If it's White and then and then Bush, and, you know, so it should make sense as it goes that way. We can kind of check it off as we go. We'll, uh, have, so, your, we'll have your power rankings of who you exactly. want the Bengals to pick. At least exactly. in some, we, we don't know who you want between Christian Wilkins and Noah Fant, but you know, what what, yeah. what can you do? We can't can do all like the matchups. An NIT tournament, kind of after like <laughs> if you lose right, now, bracket. you just right exactly. Yeah. So uh, we'll, we'll move on. Next bracket, next or next uh, matchup in the, in the bracket is two offensive tackles. Now I had them ranked, I want to say third and fourth on my off, on my top five offensive tackle prospects. It is going to be Jonah Williams of Alabama versus Jawan Taylor of Florida. And these are both guys that are talked about to be some of the best offensive line prospects in the draft, depending on who you ask. I think before the combine, Jonah Williams was a consensus by most, anyway. I guess there were still there were there were some people who liked Jawan Taylor more, but most liked Jonah Williams to be the best offensive tackle in the class. And then he went to the combine, didn't have a great combine, tested out as a good uh, an average athlete. Yeah, barely above average, right? Fifty five point eight five, I think it is. Fifty eight point five. And 5.85. Yeah. And his, his arm length was just a hair over 33 and a half inch arms, which a lot of teams, Bengals included like guys that have the arms, what is it? 30, 34 plus 34 point something plus. So 
They like the longer arms, and you wonder what's half an inch difference in arms going to do. Well, it's a it's a big difference to NFL teams. Uh, looking at their PFF data, Jonah Williams graded out a little bit better than Jawan Taylor in terms of pass blocking and run blocking in 2018. So, there there are reasons to like both guys. Jawan Taylor has the size. He he has yeah. essentially prototypical, maybe a little bit light, but prototypical size for a right tackle or a left tackle, really. 35-plus inch arms, 6'5", 312. Jonah Williams, 6'4", 302, a little bit lighter, a little bit shorter, 33.625-inch arms, so a little bit shorter arms. And Jawan Taylor did not test. So That's that is fact. a big, yeah, we don't have athletic information on Taylor. Now I think if Taylor would have would have dominated this portion of the of the pre-draft process i think he'd be a slam dunk top 10 pick i think he's still of the two guys still getting mocked into the top 10 and in my opinion he looks like a power right tackle with a big body typical type of offensive lineman that the Bengals typically like i mean if he ends up being willie anderson out there that's who he looks like i mean he's tall he's, he's long he's strong and he's nasty and this past year he looked really good he took another step this final year at Florida and, and really why we're talking about him. The interesting thing to me is when you talked about the arm length, uh, you know, it was right at the combine, right? When, when teams are really getting a free agency plan and uh, these guys are weighing in and, and here's a guy like Andre Dillard and Jonah Williams, both at 33 and a half about, and all of a sudden Ben was like, you know what? Screw it. We're signing Bobby Hart <laughs> because Juwan Taylor, maybe is the one guy who's still getting projected top 10 that won't be there. If they're looking at the rest of this, they may say, Reisner's a guard and Cody Ford's a guard and they may say well the uh the other two tackles aren't high on our list especially when they we consider their short arms because they've been pretty strict on that based on their draft history and I wonder if they said uh you know that's it we're not getting a guy at 11 and and we'll move on with the veteran we have that might certainly be the case Jawan Taylor does have a strong profile when you look at pro football focuses stats there they, they track how often a guy gives up pressure how often he has a successful run blocking snap how often he gives up interior pressure how often he gives up pressure around him to the outside and how often he gives up pressure to the bull rush javon taylor was in the top 25 of draft eligible prospects for all of those rankings whereas jonah williams was only up there for pass blocking efficiency and giving up outside pressure so jonah williams according to this this data set had a lower percentage of run blocking uh, run blocking success and oh, really? had some issues with the bull rush compared to the rest of this draft class. And the bull rush stuff, you're talking about a guy that gives up pressure on a bull rush 0.5% of the time versus 3% of the time. Most of these right. tackles at the college level aren't giving up pressure to a bull rush. So, that's when I mean, that's when uh, Williams will lose, though, is that yeah. long arm gets in there, that post arm, and it just... It'll just drive him backwards. And you saw a little bit with against Cleveland Farrell in the uh, the championship game. Yeah, that's true. And, and that's one big knock, I think, against Jonah Williams is he had major issues with Cleveland Farrell in that game. Yeah, and one thing, though, I, did, I love Jonah Williams in the run game. I think he's got a chip on his shoulder. He will bury guys and keep moving and keep grinding until he, he gets his guy out of the play. Uh, I just think, you know, when you've got the weight and the length that Jawan Taylor does, it allows you to to continue to be that type of guy in the NFL, whereas uh, Jonah Williams may have to be a little bit of a different type of player. Having said that, both guys have played a lot in their careers. Uh, Juwan Taylor and Jonah Williams, basically three-year starters, 2,700 snaps for Jonah Williams, 2,300 snaps for Juwan Taylor. Yeah. So you could be pretty happy with either of these guys, I think. I think this might be the closest one we have so I think far. so. Yeah, I think because that, even 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 us looking at it, it's like, oh, you're kind of splitting hairs in a lot of ways. Yep. Yeah, I wish we had the athletic profile on Juwan Taylor. Yeah. If we did, even if it was average, I think I'd feel much better uh, about him and, and selecting him. But at the same time, it's hard to come off of Jonah and well, how I felt about him before all of this measurement took place I, on tape. I thought Jonah was a very very good tackle, even though he yep. was probably going to come away as as an average athlete with average size. He's one of those guys you turn on the tape and you say he can play and he'll continue to play. And he's got a chip on his shoulder that won't, won't drag him down. Uh, so yeah, I like both guys. Honestly, if the, if the pick comes and it's either one of these two, it's probably because the Bengals felt they were the best player available. And we've been in scenarios where we've had to discuss both of these guys because, you know, Devin Bush and Devin white both go in the top 
10 or, uh, you know, TJ Hawkinson goes in the top 10 and we're, or Ed Oliver goes in the top five and we're left deciding between the next tier of players. And that's when I think the Bengals get into a situation where offensive tackle is the best player available. And that's probably if they're not considering quarterback, right? Because if Devin Bush, Devin White, TJ Hawkinson and Ed Oliver are both gone before them, so so is Bosa and Quinnen. Bosa, Quinnen Williams, Kyler Murray. So that's yep. what eight guys. Probably, probably Josh Allen. Right. So nice. then, then you probably have a quarterback there, right? So um, I don't know. I, I think I think it's still, we. I think we both agree that it's still fairly unlikely that it's an offensive tackle in the first round. And and then you have to wonder: is that even? correct to do at 11 looking at the depth that that actually looks a lot better i think than than we thought it was initially with guys like max sharping kayla mcgarry greg yeah. little yanni could just even uh looking at looking at some of his data that we talked about early in the show chuma doga looking at some of these guys yeah in in the mid rounds or second and, or third round in some and cases. i'm still excited to see uh titus howard and see how he grades right. out for pff which i'll lean on them a lot because we don't have a lot of tape for those d2 guys and we'll need a i definitely need to see what, what their evaluation says and as a matter of fact we do have that information in pro football Focus's draft guide 2.0 or 3.0 i'm not sure what version it is but it's something outside the first titus howard graded pretty well uh 87.8 is a pass blocker pass blocker 75.5 as a run blocker only had 774 snaps over four years 659 uh, in his 2018 season 24th in pass blocking efficiency 14th in run blocking success never gave up a pressure to a bull rush uh, pretty middle of the pack I'd say for giving up inside outside pressure so there you go makes sense to me uh, had penalties yeah. nine penalties on 659 snaps this past year, or that's uh, throughout his career? In in 2018. He only had 774 career snaps, according that's to what, what I'm looking at here. Yeah, he was a former tight end, uh, athletic guy, and moved there. So, yeah, that's interesting to know that he was penalized. I think some of that will definitely be technique. He needs to use his hands much better. So there you go on Titus Howard. Another guy that the Bengals visited with might be a mid to early mid prospect, potentially. And those are going to be our matchups for today. So go vote on Josh Allen or Brian Burns. Right. Or Jonah Williams. Who are you Williams. voting for on that? Uh, so I know you like here, Brian Burns. I, I do, but I, I think I like Josh Allen better. The thing I is, I wish they weren't going against each other. <laughs> the thing is, I don't think Josh Allen's going to be there. Right. That's and, and I think that that's going to play in to, to my choice a little bit. I think for all the other guys we've talked about, there's a fairly realistic chance that they'll be there. And Ed Oliver might be gone at five. That that could certainly happen. But I think I think it's more likely that Josh Allen goes at the top in the top five or six, like we talked about earlier, just because he has crazy production as a senior and tested pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, he's meeting with the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers today, I believe, if you're listening to this on Wednesday night. It was he he's he's met with all the top teams, right? And the Bengals yeah. are the floor of the teams he's met with. So some Bengals fans immediately asked her they're gonna trade up and then that's where the Duke Tobin stuff we talked about yesterday came in. I don't think they're gonna trade yeah. up for anybody outside of the outside of a quarterback. You know, if you were to tell me one of these guys end up being Kalu Mack, Vaughn Miller, would you trade up? Would it be worth it then? Would it? I I'm... How far do I have to go up? I know that's the question, right? Because if you do go, I miss on a quarterback. Although, like you look you at what Camille, you look at what Khalil Mack did for the Bears last year, and I know he, he kind of made that team. It'll and Bob fun. Miller's had years like that in Denver. So, yeah. so our next our next battle is between Jonah Williams and Juwan Taylor. So vote on that. Also, I think this one's going to be much closer. It's, I think it's a pick your poison. Do you trust the size? Do you trust uh, the a ex- little bit more longer, better tape in Jonah Williams? And without the testing for Juwan Taylor, but you have just average testing for Jonah Williams. So it's an interesting battle between those two. If you had to split hairs there, who do you take? I'm still taking Jonah, uh, but it's, and it's mostly because I have an incomplete data set on Juwan Taylor. If I had that information, even if I thought he was a below average athlete with the, with that information, I'd feel much co- more comfortable. Yeah, that's fair. Uh <laughs> What tackle do you think would be there in the second round that you would prefer over either of these guys in the first mm. round? 
So we're we're t- we're taking in value here now, yeah. right? So we're considering, man, I, that I would take over these guys. Wow, I think that's tough because I I like the value much more in round three at tackle. We've done the mock draft simulations in round two, man. You just don't mm-hmm. end up one. Now you're going to tell me Dalton Reisner's still there because we've seen that it has been mocked. I don't expect it. I wouldn't be surprised well, if Reisner went nine or ten. What about what about uh, do, do you have Kajust as a third round guy? Yeah, he's and I won't. He'd be behind some what, of these guys. What about Greg Little? Yeah, I'd, I'd consider Greg Little in the second, but I just don't think it'd be a, a good bet to take. I I, I know there'll be better players there. there. Yeah, and okay. the way he showed up at the Combine, it's not a good look. You know, yeah. that typically isn't a good look for those guys. Okay. Well, there you have it. Take a look for those polls. Give us your answers. We'll move on to the next round next week. We'll have a couple more matchups tomorrow. And also tomorrow, as always, it's going to be time to record the weekend mailbag. So we will solicit your questions and get through them and give you some answers. I can't it's, wait. We never can. It's the best. Maybe we should do it multiple times a week. If you guys think you can get us questions multiple times a week, let us know. And maybe we'll maybe we'll think about doing a mini mailbag Tuesday or something like that. Yeah, it's a less stressful podcast. We record all week, but yet it gets the most hits every week too. So... You guys are listening to him. You like him. If you want more, we can do more. That'd be great for us. That'd be a, a, a no-stress Wednesday. We're going to take more mailbag questions, you know? Get over the hump day, you know? Exactly. Es- especially after the draft. Because after yes. the draft, there's going to be a lot less for us to talk about. You know the NFL season gets quiet around then. Anyway, that'll do it for us here at the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Hope you have a good one, Bengals fans. And we'll talk to you next time. Did you watch the 2020 Reds with higher expectations than a first-round wildcard exit of epic proportions? Did you think that the Reds hitting would come around with the signings that they made last offseason? Are you wondering who is asking you all of these questions? Hi, my name is Jeff Carr, and I host the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, every day. Throughout the offseason, I'm going to take a look at these Reds, how they fix what didn't work in 2020, and how they continue their success in 2021. But wait, there's more. I'll also have interesting interviews with players, writers, and everyone in between talking about the Cincinnati Reds. Come join me on the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day.